everyone, and welcome to the Library Marketing for Library Marketers podcast. Thanks for returning to listen today, and welcome to you if this is your first episode. I'm your host, Katie Rothley. I'm a fellow library marketer. I'm also a librarian and artist, and I love books just like you. This podcast is for library marketers, obviously, (laughs) Uh, and I hold informer conversations with other library marketers, but also with some experts in the marketing field outside of libraries thrown in the mix. Also, I want to encourage you, uh, please feel free to send me any questions, comments, or ideas for future topics, if there's something going on in at work for you that um, you'd like to hear about, maybe for a future podcast episode, feel free to send me an email at ro, T is in Tom, H, L is in Larry, E is in Elephant, Y, K is in Kite, at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. The Library Marketing for a Library Marketers show, or podcast, I should say. Um, I'm so happy to have Megan, uh, is it Kowalski? Yes. Yes. With me today. And you're also a native Michigander. Correct? I was actually born in Indiana. So close. Oh. close. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's essentially the same almost. I, particularly because I was born in South Bend. So it is not far from the border. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who um, may not uh, be familiar with you or anything that you have done, would you mind providing some of your background and experience? Sure. So I was lucky enough to grow up with a father who was a librarian. My father was James Gates. He was the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame librarian, and he recently retired. So libraries have always been a part of my life. And when I was set to graduate college and had to decide, oh boy, what do I want to do with my life? I realized, let's go to library school because you've always liked working in libraries. And so what happened is I you know, worked at my campus's library uh, while I got my master's degree. And in that process sort of fell into technical services when my heart lied in public services. So um, at that uh, university, my boss was great and always gave me a chance to work on our marketing committee, teach some classes, run our social media and things like that. So in my current position here at the University of the District of Columbia Open Up, I jumped at the chance to come work here um, because it was the outreach and reference librarian position. It was brand new. I was going to be able to start it from the ground up and get going from there. And so that's how I sort of fell into library work. It's just something that has always been there. Um, And I've done both technical service and public services, which I found has given me a good you know, idea of how the overall ecosystems of libraries worked was has informed how I've worked with my outreach. Yeah, and um, I know a lot of people consider marketing and outreach to be the same thing. Would you agree with that? In some ways, to me, marketing is just a teeny tiny niche of it. For me, marketing, I would define it more as, you know, what do you create? You know, the advertisements, the videos, the posters, you know, social, like the actual social media text, whereas outreach itself, it's more hands-on. It's talking to people. It's, you know, we always joke here at our library that we're kind of like the Kool-Aid man. We're constantly <laughs> busting into meetings going, oh yeah, just trying to promote the library simply because, <laughs> you know, we're, 
our constant fight is right now we've moved three separate times on campus to allow for renovations. And so we're just trying to remind students and faculty, we exist and we're over here right now. So we're constantly busting into meetings, dropping in saying, you know, this is what the library can do for you. We're a cheerleader. So marketing to me is, you know, the more technical hands-on stuff, whereas the outreach is more the advocacy side, the constant reminder that trying to get our brand out there, you know, that this is what the library is. This is what we can do for you. And so with these meetings that you're attending, are you invited to them or do you kind of invite yourself like um, wedding crashers, you know, you kind of crash the meetings? Both. We do both. So <laughs> at, um, at UDC, we are faculty. So we are invited to like the faculty professional development sessions that are required of all faculty every year. And so we are always looking for a way to just sort of remind faculty, hey, we're here. So we're asking questions or if someone asks a question, we'll pop up and be like, oh, hey, the library. But for other meetings, if we get wind of them, we will find our way in. Um, our university also does, when the weather's nice, this thing called Spirit Wednesday. We're a commuter campus. And so student life is a little bit more difficult to get going here. So what the university has done is on Wednesdays, they'll bring in food trucks and students can line up and get food for free and they hang out and this happens on our central plaza. And so whenever one of us is available, we just show up. We have a little sign that says, ask me anything. I'm a librarian. We'll have our laptop and we just sort of, you know, do some guerrilla marketing. So if we get wind of something, we'll just go to it. Um, I kind of operate by the, you know, do it now, beg forgiveness later sort of <laughs> process. And it's, it's worked out pretty well because most people already have a good vision of the library in mind, so they don't see us as interrupting. You know, they see us as a welcome presence, even if they didn't know we were going to be there, simply because our end goal is to support the students and the faculty in everything that they do. We are the cheerleaders for their work. We are here to support them. So even if we're not invited, we're generally welcomed in. That's good. Um, I feel like that's the difference between maybe academic libraries and public libraries because there's a bit of a struggle uh, to even get invitations or to mm -hmm. keep on top of anything going on because there's so much that goes on in everyone's communities uh, and then, you know, limited staffing to be able to crash any meetings or, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, I feel like, you know, it might be a little bit easier when you're an academic library part of an institution that it's a little more accepted. It is. And it helps that we start to build relationships with our faculty and our administrators one on one. Like we just see them in the common course of our work. And the more we teach classes and the more we attend faculty meetings, you know, people get used to seeing us. And then suddenly it's like, oh, hey, the librarian. And then that just rolls into the favorite librarian effect that I think happens at every library. Like someone identifies they are my librarian. It doesn't matter if there's <laughs> six other librarians available, they have a favorite and they're going to find that person and over and over and over again. And actually, you know, UDC is the public university for DC. We're basically the DC state school. And so we operate under the purviews of the DC government, just like DCPL does. So mm. our DC public library, we have tried on occasion to work with one another to be like, students, you can use the DC public library and DC public library cardholders. You can come to the UDC library because we do have different resources. We do cater to slightly different audiences. Like obviously, 
as the university library, we're not going to have story time. But if there is a resident who's trying to do some academic research because they're writing a book, they are more than welcome to come. And in fact, just yesterday, I was at an online meeting of adult services for DCPL talking about databases. And so we do try to work together in that regard, um, simply because you know, libraries are always like, come use our stuff. I don't know of any other organization that is constantly like, no, come give me more work. Take what we have. It's <laughs> it's free. Come, come do it. Yeah. So what kind of messaging has been the most successful for you um, when talking to faculty, when talking to students and when talking with the public library? So when I first started, it was a brand new position. Um, no outreach position had existed. So I didn't know what I was walking into. And this happened to be about a year or so before the pandemic. So the very first thing I did on campus was do a SWOT analysis simply to get an idea of what does this university think of the library? And what constantly came up over and over and over again is from both students, faculty, and administrators was the library is where I go for help. It doesn't matter what I have a question about, at least they're going to help me. Um, a lot of our students are first gen, navigating academia is new to them. And so sometimes it's hard to understand, well, where do I go to get whatever this is done? And so they know they can come to the library for that support. So I leaned into that marketing and that works on all levels. You know, students can come to us for help with their assignments. They can come to us for help figuring out where do they go to talk to a certain person. And then for faculty, it's the same messaging, just we can help you with your research. We can help teach information literacy skills to your students. And when it comes to DCPL, the messaging is more, we're here, you know, as a partner. We are here to help, you know, provide services that you don't necessarily have and vice versa. And so we try on occasion to have DCPL give a webinar to our students being like, here's how you get a library card. This is what's offered to you. Because as a commuter campus, we only have a couple of campuses ourselves, but DCPL has branches across the city that our students can use if they want study space, if they want to print and things like that. So we try to remind them, you know, you don't have to come all the way across town to use our campus. You can go to your local library branch and they will help you just as much as we will. And so it's trying to expand our reach, you know, telling DCPL sort of see us just as another public library branch. We just have different things. And the students are slowly picking up on that. You know, some students are constantly like, oh, yeah, I'm at my library branch all the time. And others are like, I didn't realize I qualified for a D.C. public library card because I'm not from D.C. And we're like, yes, but if you go to school here, you do qualify. And so a lot of it is just trying to remind students and faculty, you know, these are all the things you have access to because no one knows everything that the library offers. You know, I can never remember what D.C. public library offers. I'm constantly checking. And so it's trying to remind our students, you know, it's OK to come ask us. We will find that out for you. So what so what kind of um, storytelling or branding have you undergone to uh, kind of streamline how you educate your um, audiences? Because I know you probably segment just like a lot of other people do. Um, what has worked well for you to to become successful in helping to educate and increase awareness about what the university offers? Yeah, so right now, everything comes under the umbrella of what I call our tagline, the helpful place, because that, that just covers everything. And so with students, when we're segmenting, we have a monthly newsletter. We just got LibConnect from um, oh. the Lib apps, which has been 
incredibly useful because we can import our students from our library catalog, we can import our faculty, and we can get down to a granular, granular level of what program they're in. And so then we can target them by time of year to basically be like, okay, it is now paper season. Here is help finding sources. And so we're always tying our messaging to our students to the academic calendar. So basically being like, what are you working on right now? How can we both be most helpful with that? And coming up in two weeks, we have finals week where I completely ignore all things research. And I'm like, students need cheerleading and motivation right now. And so I will <laughs> lean into the marketing of, you know, here's some silly gifts that might make you laugh. Here's a video you can dance to because the students at that point, they're done. They're done learning about research. You know, at that point, if they're trying to learn research, it's a little too late. I mean, it's never too late, but, you know, they want that cheerleader effect. So that's what we lean into. And then for faculty, we're always trying at the start of the semester is, you know, right when they're still trying to figure out their syllabus for the semester, you know, where does the library fit in? We try to hit them with stuff of, okay, here's how you can schedule a library, you know, training session for your students. Here's all the things we can offer. And so we try to hit them early in the semester. And then there are certain classes that are research heavy and we follow up with them a few times to be like, here's how we can help with teaching these information literacy skills to your students. Um, and what's funny is a colleague and I are doing um, a research study on research assignment design, trying to figure out how do faculty design their student research assignments. And so now we have a better idea of, oh, everyone's assigning an annotated bibliography, or everyone is talking about evaluating sources. We can make targeted videos for that material in send it to them and be like, embed this in your course management system. Now you don't have to teach it. We've done it for you. So we're trying to tell them we're saving you time. You don't have to create this content. We've done it for you. And then in terms of their own research, that comes with our one-on-one -on -one partnerships where we hear, what is this faculty member researching? Because as a faculty member, they're expected to publish and present. And so once we get wind of that, we can be like, oh, I recommend this resource and be like, you know, you don't have to figure these things out. We can help you you know, do some of this legwork for you. We're not research assistants, but at least we can point you in the right direction. And then for the administrators, it's just simply trying to remind them, hi, we're over here. We need some, you know, we need some more money like every library everywhere. <laughs> but then showing it with, these are the number of questions we answered. We track all of our statistics, all of our interactions. You know, these are what databases are being used. This is the questions we're getting and things like that. So we've got three different audiences and we're, everything for us is time to the academic calendar, which is convenient for me for marketing because you have an ebb and flow of the semester where you know people are paying attention. And then when you know, nope, they're not paying attention at all, don't even bother. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I know it's different for public libraries because, I mean, we still follow our, our close community school systems academic um, calendar, but not to a T. And so we're always vying for people's attention, but it sounds like um, you're, you have your work cut out for you, but you're also doing really well mm -hmm. at communicating with your different audiences. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if um, all of the faculty that you try and hit up at, at the beginning of the school year, um, are you guys well established now? Do they, are they like expecting to hear from you now? Or was that was that something that you um, established in order to just continue to have a presence and, and remind them that that you're there for them as support? 
So it's a bit of a mixed bag. Some faculty, they know us, they love us. They're constantly scheduling classes. They're constantly meeting with us. And for them, it's just the quick reminder email of, hey, schedule your library instruction. And they're there. Like They're like, oh, great, you sent me the link. I'm good to go. Other faculty, it's still, hi, we're over here. We can help you. And they don't quite understand the role the library plays in their work teaching students and then also with their own research. And what was most interesting for me, because I started this position and there was nothing, is that at that time, there was not a culture of people opening their email here. And I didn't know, how do I get things off the ground at a university where most of the marketing is done by people literally walking into someone else's office and going, hi, Like that's not sustainable as a team of one. It's just not. And so I hate to say it, the pandemic worked out well for me because suddenly people (laughs) had to open their email. And that's, you know, that's sad to say because the pandemic was, you know, disruptive in so many ways and it had such an impact on our students. But in terms of marketing, it meant I had one consistent avenue I knew people were looking at. So that's when we really started pushing our email marketing, um, you know, to the point of an individual level. A colleague and I, um, you know, there was no consistent faculty email listserv. Like there was no one that got everyone at one time. So she and I went through and actually mostly my colleagues. So I got shout out to Kathy Meals. She did all the work for me to start. I started Mm -hmm. updating it. We went through the course catalog and literally pulled out every faculty name and email and program they were in to create our own email list. Now we're a smaller university, but that was still last time I checked 560 something emails. And we have these departmental guides. So what I did is at the start of every semester, and I still do this, individually emailing faculty, luckily I could cluster them by department. You know, here's your research guide for your program or your area of research. And having that individual targeted email, it was a lot of work, but we got a lot of messages, even if it was just a simple reply of thank you, at least I knew they read it. Um, And now with having LibConnect, this is going to be easier for me to do because all of these emails are imported and sorted and I don't have to do the updating every semester. But it was a lot of legwork to get started, but such a big return on investment for us that I'm glad we did the work in the first place. And some people, you know, you're always trying to think of ways to make things faster, but sometimes having that one drudgery project with a big return on investment is a good idea. And there, it got to the point where a couple of other departments were like, wait, you have those emails? How can I get them? <laughs> I'm I'm honestly so impressed and also simultaneously aghast that the university didn't have its own communications department. Well, we do have our own communications department and we do have faculty email lists, but the process to get emails sent through them like any state university or really okay. any university in general is so laborious and long that by the time it went through the, my emails went through the approval process and were sent out, it was three weeks after I wanted them to be sent. Oh my goodness. And so I was just like, this can't stand. And then also we have faculty email listservs, but some of them went to all, you know, just full-time faculty. Some of them went to adjunct faculty. Some of them went to deans and chairs. And, you know, despite me saying, I want it to go to everyone who teaches here, I never quite knew who it was being sent out to. And so this way, this was one of those beg forgiveness later projects because I'm like, I'm just sending <laughs> emails internally. It's not an external message. And so far, no one has told me to stop. So I'm going to keep going. That's a lot of my marketing is until someone tells me to stop, I'm just going to keep going. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so do you, do you have a, um, like a regular survey or information needs assessment that you conduct or a marketing plan that you follow? So other than working on the academic calendar, I do not have a strict marketing plan. And that's simply because right now, since I, well, since I've started, we've been in a system of upheaval. First, it was, there was no outreach librarian. So I spent the first six to eight months figuring out what am I working with here? That was a lot of work. And then I went on maternity leave and then I came back from maternity leave for about a month and a half. And then the COVID pandemic hit and trying to pivot to online teaching online reaching out with students was hard enough so i was just like okay let's keep up with the email let's keep up with our social media you know let's just sort of remind people we exist and in that time we have also moved locations twice so it's simply how do you market when you don't have a constant basis of information my colleague again kathy shout out to her she's our assessment librarian and at the time i was doing our swot analysis she was sending the first university-wide email about library services. And then same thing, COVID hit, all of that. She planned to do it yearly, but we're like, people are over-surveyed right now. They were getting so many surveys about what do you want to see? What do you need? We didn't want to add to that because we're like, we're not going to get any good data from this. And so we, she just got the results back from our spring survey. So it's the second one we've done and we're hoping to get more information out of that. But in terms of a marketing plan right now, it's simply what is going on in the semester and where are we on campus so I can remind people of where we are. So we have, in terms of like our daily work, I'm constantly updating our social media. We send a monthly newsletter tied to the spring semester. I have targeted emails that go out to faculty at specific times of years. Um, but it's also trying to uncover what other platforms are available to me to contact students and faculty. Because as with most universities, departments kind of do their own thing and trying to figure out who's doing what. Um, leads me to sort of do things on the fly. Like I found out our student advising system has a search function where I could re look up every single research class taught on campus, huh. build an email list out of that and directly contact students in research classes. So I did that. And I, if I was trying to follow a strict marketing plan, you know, I, I don't think I would have uncovered that, whereas just in one of our all faculty meetings, I heard about this platform and I was like, hi, can the library get in on that? And so now I have this powerful tool to discover which students are in research-based, you know, courses, writing heavy courses where they're going to need library resources. And so targeting them that way. And I think part of marketing and outreach is being willing to pivot on the fly and try new things. And what's nice about, you know, this advising platform where I can send emails is I get very basic statistics, the number I send and the number that are opened. But when the number that I'm that are opened is over 60%, that's a really good email open rate. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, and then those students know they can contact us directly. And we've seen a little bit of an uptick in our appointment requests, a little bit of an uptick in our email, you know, queries that we receive. But it's just the fact that students now know these resources are available to them. Many of them didn't realize that they could come to us because um, we have a couple of campuses and they were like, oh, but I don't go to school on that campus. I'm like, you don't have to. We're here for you. And so it, a lot of it is just trying to work with students who don't have a background in library research to remind them we're here for you. Like, let us make your lives easier. So um, I kind of have, well, I have two different questions. The first one is, how do you market your resources? I know that for a lot of um, 
library staff that are not specifically library marketers and also specifically library marketers in general have a have a difficult time relating library resources to their user base so how i mean what kind of strategies are you using to like for instance relate a specific database to solving a student's or a faculty's um, need or problem so obviously when we teach our information literacy classes or our library research classes within the classes themselves, those sessions are always tailored to that specific course or even a specific assignment within that course. So for those, it's exceedingly easy because we're like, okay, we're walking into an engineering class. We're only going to be using engineering databases. That one's easy. When I send out those faculty emails at the start of the semester, each of those lists, these are the databases specific to this area of study. Please share this with your students. So that's one way we do it. In one-on-one -on -one sessions, we hear about, you know, what is the student working on? What do they need? When do they need it by? And then we can walk them through, okay, these are the databases we recommend for that. Um, in our database list, we have drop-down menus where students can search by subject. So we'll explain to students, here are the popular multi-subject databases where you're going to find a lot of stuff, but you might want to look into these targeted databases to see these resources. So actually, one of my plans coming up in the fall semester, because at the start of the fall is when most students pay attention. Now that I have LibConnect and I know what programs the students are in, I'm going to send those same faculty resources, but tweaked for a student audience via email to be like, you are studying in this department. Here are the databases we recommend for that. Follow up with the library. We're happy to help. And so it's working with the tools I have to try to figure out what are you working on that is helpful. And then within our emails, I try to pick databases that have general appeal. So at the start of the semester, when students are just getting their feet wet with wet with research, I'll say something like, here's our credo database. It's, you know, just a general encyclopedia. It's how you can get started. And then the next one will be like, here's academic search premiere. This is a big, broad, multi-subject database. This is how you can get started there. And then further on in the semester, I'll be like, I might start to tweak. I'm like, okay, I know a lot a lab assignments are coming out. Let's market the Jove lab skills that we have. And so it's just trying to time it to the semester, knowing what's coming up. But the hard part with students you don't know what they're working on until they come to you. It's a lot of work on the student to come to us. But now that I have LibConnect, which ties in what are the students working on, I'm going to dive into that and have a lot of fun with it. Um, since we have a smaller student body and uh, LibConnect limits me to a million emails, I've got a while before I run out. So I'm very much looking <laughs> forward to that. And it's also trying to remember a lot of our students, they go to Google first. And so simply getting them onto a library database, any library database is considered a win for some of our students. Because one thing we've seen over and over and over again is if it's not on the first page of Google, they assume it doesn't exist. So then telling them, nope, this is how you go to the library, here are your options, and just even introducing them to library resources, that's our number one thing. Just get them onto the library's website in the first place. And then another thing we have is built into our content management system, we use Blackboard, um, and this is something we started in the pandemic, we created Library 101, which are self-paced tutorials where students can walk through different research and library-related skills. And within that, we talk about the difference between multi-subject databases, open web resources, and subject-specific databases. And our faculty, we encourage them, you know, assign this as extra credit or assign a single module as something your students need to do that week for homework. And we've seen, right now, we have a quarter of our student body 
enrolled in that program. And we're hoping to find a way we can auto-enroll everyone. But right now, the content management system itself is not working very well with that. So we're working on a word-of-mouth basis. We're constantly telling faculty, send us your rosters. We can enroll your students very quickly. Um, just a, like a, a side note, I was applying to um, take online classes at um, one of my local community colleges, and one of the things that they have new students do is complete a orientation online, and so then it walks you through multiple online um tutorials and then requires you to answer questions and if you uh get 70 percent correct or whatever you pass and go move on to the next one uh which i found interesting because back when i initially started college that wasn't a thing so um <laughs> i don't know if um the your udc does anything similar to that maybe you can get in on that so we had prior to the pandemic there were a couple of classes that were new student orientation. It was a one credit course taught over the course of the semester, basically trying to introduce students to our university and academia in general. And we used to walk in and do a whole library session. The problem with that was not every student was required to take it. So it was only the students who opted to take it who got it. We do have orientation and we were for a while involved in that, you know, tabling at events. We do a lot of that. Anytime I hear about tabling, I try to show up whether or not I'm invited. Again, I just show up. Um, yeah, we got signs and, you know, computers and swag. We just show up to things. And then because of the pandemic, they did move it online. And again, it's one of those online things, but the students are just required to log in. We don't know ah. what they see. We did provide content, um, but we don't know, you know, what students are clicking on or anything like that, because unfortunately that one's out of the library's hands. But it's one of those when I hear about who's running it, I'm always asking, how can we help? I always present the library as how can we help? How can we make your life easier? Because a lot of our, particularly our student support departments don't realize the library is here to help the students. You know, we're not the writing center, but we can help with other things. We're not tutoring, but we can help with other things. And so we're trying to also remind our student support centers, if you're getting these research questions, send the students our way. That's what we're here for. And so it all comes back to, we're trying to tell people we can make your lives easier this is how the library can help. And I actually have a one sheet we hand out to student support offices being like, if you get questions about this, hand it to the student, send them to us. And so it's some, it's just that constant messaging. You know, the library is helpful. The library is helpful to the point where now every now and then I'll hear another faculty member say, oh yeah, the library, that they were helpful. I'm like, yes, my messaging is getting out. <laughs> That's when you know your uh, yeah. your marketing campaign has been successful. Yeah. <laughs> you hear your tagline repeated back like, to yes. you. <laughs> it worked. With that one person, it worked. <laughs> um, I'm curious if you have any like uh, posters or flyers hanging up anywhere physically on campus or at the at the public library, um, or if you even have like digital uh, posters hanging up for like places the students and faculty um, visit online on the on the university website or in their email system or Blackboard or anything like that. So we have digital screens on our campus and I will send uh, our marketing office. It basically, it's just PowerPoint slide and they'll put it up for me. The problem is knowing students have about two seconds to look at it and then it rotates through the next one. So those are always a little bit tricky to design. Um, 
And right now, our main library space that is being renovated is right next to the student center. So I had signs put up that was like, where the firebird, where the firebirds is the library, and then directing them to where we actually are. Um, and then other posters around campus, we don't really do, partly because people don't read signs. They just don't. Particularly when there are more of them, they don't read signs. Like when we were doing our survey, we wanted people to know the library was doing a survey. So that was everywhere. We had these quarter leaflets. We had big signs. We had digital screens. It was all over the place. And we think it worked okay simply because, one, there was a QR code and people could just do it right then. And two, because the library doesn't have signs everywhere, it didn't get lost in the mix. One of the things I did before we shut down for COVID was a sign audit to walk through our space to be like, okay, what's here? And the number of signs in our teeny tiny space made me want to cry. So I was like, okay, knowing we're having a renovation coming up, I was like, this cannot stand once we're, you know, renovated and back. Like we cannot have this many signs. The number of signs that said, do not talk in your cell phone, do not eat food. Everything was negative. I was So shout out to Mark Aaron Polger. So much of what he talks about with signage is so true. And I can't wait to implement it when we're back in our new space. Because right now, our area is not conducive to signs. We're in a temporary space that is basically cubicles. And the students love the cubicles for the privacy. But in terms of marketing, there are no sight lines. Like I can hang up a sign in the cubicle itself. And even then I've debated, is that a good idea? They're not going to read it, particularly if they're here every day. They're just going to be like, it's a sign. They're like, we have signs above our copiers that tell you how to use them and what the limits are. And no, they don't get read. Like when it comes to Same. signs, yeah, <laughs> the sign is something I try to never do. Sometimes you need them again with our survey, but I always try to think, how can I get this message out there with no sign whatsoever? Like that's my first instinct. And obviously when we're in our new space, we'll need a sign for this is the reference desk. This is the circulation desk. I might try um, our branch campus. Um, we have a teeny tiny library that's about to open there. And this branch campus is in a converted, I think it's a middle or elementary school. And so it's just long hallways. And I'm talking with our librarian who's going to be working there. And I'm like, I think we need a sandwich board in the hallway that you can be witty with. Be like, library help this way, that way bees. I don't know, wouldn't trust it. You know, something like that, which is funny because we have a, you know, a sustainability and green infrastructure program. So I thought the bees joke might be funny, but the sandwich board just to be like, no, the library is now in this little nook that you've been walking by for two years. So something like that. Uh, when we do something with science, I want it to be novel. I want it to be unexpected. I want people to look at it. So for me, that means old colors. We are a university where one of our colors is red. So it's going to be that red or backup yellow. And something innovative, like unexpected. They have to stumble over it. Otherwise, I don't want to do a sign. <laughs> It's I like the I like the um I like the idea of a sandwich board, but also like using the floor, mm -hmm. you know, like getting those um those uh temporary um oh what are they called? Those big stickers like footprints or something or um like a magnifying glass just to pique their curiosity and then they follow it to the sandwich board or something like that. That's going to be my plan for when we open the new space to be like, no, we're over here back where we were, you know, two years ago. At the start, when we moved over here, I actually busted out my daughter's sidewalk chalk and drew arrows from leading from the door of our student center over to our new place. Oh, Downside, 
it rained that night and it all went away. And I was like, that was too much work for something that's going to go away every time it rains. So I was like, okay, if I had something more permanent, maybe, but my daughter's sidewalk shop was not the answer. But it was an innovative idea. The weather had other ideas, but yeah. I like that though, thinking outside of the box and trying different things, no matter how impermanent they are. Yeah. (laughs) You never know what's going to work. When it comes to marketing, I'm of the stance of let's try it and see. If it fails, so what? It fails. We move on. You know, not everything's going to hit or if it hits, it's only going to hit with a few people. That's that's just how it is with marketing is you never know. And I don't take it personally, particularly now. We're all so overwhelmed with marketing messages online, in person. It's just great. I just want you to know about the library. I'm you know, when it comes to statistics, I would rather our interactions and our ratings be the high number. You know, I'm not so worried about how many hits does our social media get? How many views do our YouTube videos get? I want to know what is the rating when you interact with the library? I want to see five-star ratings for customer service because that's what resonates the most. And part of my job is providing customer service training to everyone who works in the library. And this includes the director. Luckily, we're small enough that that's very easy. I have a wonderful director. And so reminding our faculty um, who work at the library and our staff who work at the library, like customer service is what they're going to remember. And the best comment we ever got in that very first survey we ever did a couple of years ago was the library has customer service like a Chick-fil-A. And I was like, that is high praise. I want that all the time. And so when we get our ratings for our chat service, I'm a little bummed when we get a four as opposed to a five, because that's what the students remember. And that goes to the heart of our messaging. If we're the helpful place, we have to be helpful. We have to be there to support our users. And so I've provided training on just customer service basics, but things like how to provide accessible customer service, how to work with students who they're coming in hot because life has been traumatic lately. So how do you deal with those difficult situations that you didn't cause, but unfortunately you're the one who has to deal with the emotions. And so there's constant customer service training going on at our library. And again, we're small, so it makes it easier, but it also, we have a really cohesive team and everyone supports one another. And so for us, yes, the seeing a post get a lot of hits is great, but I'd rather see our numbers for our interactions be the positive ones. I think that's an excellent point too, because your first um, line of marketing is actually your staff. Yes. Well, it's the physical space too, and how welcoming and comfortable people feel when they enter and interact with it, but it's also the staff. And I think that's something that is sometimes overlooked and it's probably not intentionally, but um, I, I think it's something we often maybe just kind of forget, forget about because if, if somebody, for instance, the customer experience um, from the, from the moment they enter the library and through all the processes of um, interacting with the library and library staff, if there's no consistency if there's no friendliness, um, that that really kind of just gives it a bad, mm-hmm. like a bad reputation, a bad um, first impression. Uh, I mean, who who's going to trust the library if, if all the staff are not on the same page? Yeah, it, it's difficult sometimes, particularly when, you know, policies kind of sometimes are pointless. Like we used to have this 
policy in our library of you can't have any food, none, none whatsoever. And as a commuter campus, yeah, that's not a great position to hold. Like people <laughs> need to eat. Like they can't go back to a dorm room. Our cafeteria was undergoing, again, re- a lot of renovations on campus. And so we looked at what is actually happening. And oh, guess what? People are reading in the library and we're not enforcing the policy. So let's just get rid of the policy. And the students were great. We got to get rid of all of those negative signs that said no eating. You know, we still try to encourage no drinks near the computer. But again, that's one of those, please have a lid on it, like sort of moments. And so for us, it's trying to be consistent, but then to also be realistic. You know, we have in our current space, it's just cubicles. And so it used to be if you needed, we could be head on a swivel at the reference desk and be like, does anyone visually look like they need help? We can't see a single student now from where our reference desk is. And so it's trying to be consistent of when people walk in and be like, hey, you know, just sort of wave, acknowledge that they are there. A lot of our customer service training is simply make eye contact and smile. You know, some students will be head down and walk right past you because they don't want to deal with you, which is fine. Some people are going to be like, oh, yeah, wait, I do want to talk to them. And so it's just giving that welcoming presence as a person when our space itself is not so welcoming. And then reminding our faculty, if you're going to break a policy, break it consistently. So at least someone's (laughs) like, but you did it for so-and-so, you know, because that's then what gets around. Because I'm constantly reminding our staff, you know, a student can come in, get exactly what they need, and hate every moment of the library if you weren't helping them, you know, in a pleasant and friendly manner. Or this happens a lot. Students can come in and we are unable to help them in any way, shape, or form because guess what? We can't fix a financial aid hold. But if we're friendly and welcoming and do our best, they're going to leave being like, well, at least the library tried. You know, a lot of our work is we're trying to help you. We're going to be happy about it. You might not like the answer, but you're going to come back again because you liked the experience you had with us. And so that's what we're constantly going for is, as you said, the library staff are the front line, you know. We are the branding of the university or the branding of the library come to life. And so if our tagline is the helpful place and we're not helpful or we're helpful, but we're grumpy about it, you know, it doesn't quite work. And so constantly reminding our staff, you know, you might be having a bad day, but you can't take it out on the students. It, You know, you can't take it out on the faculty. If you're having a bad day and it's really bad, maybe we can swap in someone else to work that desk shift because not all of us can be on 100% of the time. Like, I have a preschooler and there was one morning she was hollering her head off the entire way to daycare. And by the time I got to the reference desk, I was like, please let it be a quiet day because right now my tolerance is non-existent. And I warned my colleagues. I was like, I might need someone to come cover the first hour on the reference desk because right now, if anyone difficult were to come in, it would be very hard for me to help them with a smile. (laughs) And so sometimes it's just knowing your own limits and You know, that's when libraries as teams come in, as we are constantly saying, you know, we're a team. We support each other. We support the students, you know, remembering the end goal of, you know, it's not just to get through the day. It's it's, how can we help someone today? And, you know, some days it's quiet and you just sit there and it's an easy day. Other days it's like, oh, lots of papers must be due because suddenly the printer is breaking and we can't find paper and this thing got jammed and suddenly the Wi-Fi network's down. It's like, how can we get through this together as a team? Because inevitably, obviously, the tech breaks at the worst time of the semester. But, (laughs) you know, even if we have to tell a student, I am so sorry, you can't print your paper today because the printers are offline. 
here's, you know, try to offer some backups. But if you say it and you apologize and, you know, having that positive customer service experience might make their stress a little bit easier to handle. And so it is a lot of care work. And sometimes we forget that working with people is care work, no matter what you do, but especially in libraries, you know, people are coming to us and it's difficult sometimes to ask someone a question. There's always something a little bit vulnerable about going to someone you probably don't know and asking them a question or asking them for help. And so trying to remember that, you know, in our work is always lead with empathy simply because you don't know what that person's going through. So treat them as an individual, you know, and help them help the person in front of you, not the six people you had to deal with ahead of time. Don't try not to carry that baggage. Exactly. Yeah. I've had that conversation before with colleagues about how, um, you know, it's, Obviously, it's it's the same question a thousand times for us, and so we're we're used to it. But for that one person coming in who may have some intimidation or um, anxiety about being in the library in the first place, they are unfamiliar. It's an environment they've never been in before. They have no idea what to expect. It may be really difficult for them to approach anyone who actually looks like they work there. So um, yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it can be helpful to put a positive spin on something for yourself. Like you said, we may have gotten asked the question dozens of times, but it's that person's first time asking it. In our current space, there are classrooms up here and the building is a maze. And so trying to be like, oh, go this way, go this way, go this way. It's not helpful. They're, the student is going to get lost. So for me, I may know how to get to that classroom with my eyes closed. The student does not. So I frame it in my mind as one, I'm helping you get to class on time. And two, now I'm getting my steps in. I have a Fitbit. So I'm always <laughs> like, I see it as a little challenge of, okay, if I know I'm going to get a lot of directional questions today, and it's just easier to walk the person there. How many steps can I get in on one desk shift? So sometimes I try to find a way to spin it as a positive for myself. So it feels less like work and more like, okay, this is, you know, a fun challenge for me. And I will never forget there was one time in our old space, but same idea. How many, you know, steps can I get in? I walked three miles in a single desk shift. And I was like, to me, it was like, oh, that meant it was a very busy day, but also now I don't have to work out. So, you know, it's a great little <laughs> benefit. I like that gamifying it. Yeah. <laughs> and it works different for everyone. Everyone has their different quirks. Like I can't do on the reference desk any deep work. Like when it's quiet, I, I can't focus on deep work. So I'll use it as, you know, creating a content bank for social media. I'll use it for some of my professional development reading. I'll use it to read email, but I can't do it for any of my deep projects or even design work. You know, I can barely develop a one of our email newsletters when I'm working on the reference desk because getting interrupted constantly makes it really hard for me to focus. And so everyone's different. I've got one colleague who's like, no, I am saving this project for when I'm on the desk because she wants those interruptions <laughs> to be like, snap me out of how hyper-focused I am on something. So everyone's a little bit different and it's finding what what works for you to, you know, sometimes get through those tough shifts, but more to how can you find some joy in that day? Because then having that positive outlook can, you know, help provide that positive customer service experience. And I mean, it's not going to be every day. Like there are just some days that, that stink and you are sort of plastering that smile on your face and be like, let me just get through this shift. Like everyone goes through that, you know, but it's trying to remember, okay, 
it's not the person in front of me that caused the problem. Well, sometimes it is, but you know, we all have those <laughs> encounters, but trying to approach it as, okay, this person's an individual. How can I lead with empathy? How can I help them with what they need today? I like that. How can I help you be the most successful version of yourself? And how can I lead with empathy? How mm-hmm. can I help you? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so sometimes I can't, you, I can't see the time, so I don't know what time it is. <laughs> it's 1046. Looking oh, at wow. Yeah. Really good. Okay. <laughs> Um, yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, what were no. you going to say? I was just going to say, I always try to approach our students because we have everything from 17 year old straight out of high school to one woman came up to me. We did our reference interaction and she's like, good. Now I can submit this paper and go celebrate because I'm turning 70 today. So we have 17 to 70. And so for me, I'm always trying to work with who is this individual? What's their story? And some of them will tell you their entire life story. And you're like, wow, this is going on a really long time. And others are like in, out, done, like they want, but it's always a surprise with who you're working with because you never know. And it's kind of fun to engage with people in that way. I will never forget when someone said, I want to be a librarian because then I don't have to talk to people. And I was like, I I, I need to uh, tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> you're in for a rude awakening. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, even in cataloging and technical services, you need to talk to people. <laughs> I can't wait to be a librarian. I don't have to talk to anyone. I was like, I, I don't know where you got that from, but it wasn't any library I know. Oh, uh, it's just like, oh, you're a librarian. You must be, you must get to read all day. Uh, uh, the famous stereotype. <laughs> now, sometimes I've leaned into that. I will roll into meetings with a bun. And when I'm wearing my glass, it is full librarian mode. And then you get up there and talk and people are like, oh, wait. I'm like, there's a bit of play acting that can go on with outreach and marketing because you're constantly upbeat and, you know, as you, I know this is a podcast, but I've been talking wildly with my hands. And it's simply because people engage with you if you show a lot of energy and happiness in your work and with what you do. And it's really hard to then not like the library when the person talking about the library is so happy to be talking about the library. And it's one of those things I always try to bring to our meetings to any tabling event is just, I'm so happy to be working with you and helping what you need. How can I help you today? And so just having that, it, you know, it's, it's energy. There are some days I don't have it. Like there are days I go to do roving reference and I'm kind of like, can it rain today? So I don't have to go outside. Can I just focus on the back end marketing stuff where again, I don't have to talk to people today. (laughs) <laughs> totally understand. You're not alone in that yeah. at all. <laughs> well, um, to close out, I want to ask, um, do you have a book recommendation or a source of inspiration to recommend for any of the, our listeners? So anything Angela Hirsch does, I'm just there. Like the library marketing show, anything she puts on is wonderful. Um, One of the things I do a lot is I try to read outside of library work. So I'm reading um, social media today. Um, There's this thing, Marketing Deep Dive. It's an email newsletter, and it just sort of gives you some tips and hints of what's going on in the marketing world. So Harvard Business Review is shockingly where I get a ton of ideas. They have an email that goes out daily, which is all about management, but the skills translate particularly when it comes to customer service, because 
working as a manager with employees is kind of like working with customers. And so that's been helpful. And then there is um, Jeff Toyster's customer service tip of the week. I get that every week. Um, Sometimes I forward them along to our staff, but that one I'm constantly working with because he's talking about how to work with people online, how to work with people on the phone. And so just having that reminder sometimes helps with, oh, okay, you know, I forgot I or I didn't frame something like that. So that's been helpful. I like um, Anne Hanley's uh, marketing profs too, and yes. also HubSpot marketing too. They sometimes have some good ideas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's another one. Um, anyway, I can't, yeah. I'll probably think of it later, but yeah. uh But yes, thank you so much for joining me today, Megan. Um, I'm really excited and happy that uh, you reached out after I sent out that survey. And um, I, are you going to be attending LMCC this year? I am planning on it. A lot of it's going to depend on does the university fund it, but it's on my calendar. I plan on submitting a proposal to talk about how do you work through content creation burnout since we've all been there. And I actually asked is anyone interested in this? And the number of yeses I got was like, cool, I will write this up. So I am planning on being there whether or not I present. But again, it depends on university funding, which is always, oh, so fun to try to figure out. But, you know, that's how it is. (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, I hope to have you again on the show in the future. And uh, and then hopefully I will see you at LMCC in the fall. It was great (laughs) talking with you. Thank you so much. And thank you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. All right. right, Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening. I hope it was as helpful for you as it was for me. You can follow this podcast to keep track of new episodes and find it primarily on RSS and Spotify, but also on some other major podcast platforms too. Find me on Facebook at Library Marketing for Library Marketers. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review or sending me feedback at rawflyk at gmail.com. Until next time.